we continue to read through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, this morning, chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus is speaking and says, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. So, this is early 1980s. I'm in seminary, and some of my friends and classmates introduced me to a new recording artist, at least new to me. Her name was Chris Williamson. And then before very long, turns out she was going to be in concert, close enough that we, several of us, could load up in cars and drive to go to see her in concert. She is a pianist, a singer-songwriter, does a variety of genres. That night at the concert... In between one of the number, between a couple of the numbers, she stops to tell a story. She says there's a tourist in New York City trying to find Carnegie Hall, goes up to a taxicab driver and says, Sir, can you tell me how to get to Carnegie Hall? He says, Yes, of course. Practice, practice, practice. Now, Chris Williamson's played Carnegie Hall several times. The tourist was looking for directions. But the taxi cab driver was talking about what it takes in any number of endeavors to give our best. At Boston Avenue Church, we not only have a mission and vision statement, but we have some core values we articulated a few years ago. The third core values I put in your outline, it says, as a community of faith, Boston Avenue cultivates music architecture and the arts as a means of experiencing God what we're getting at there is using our artistic or our expressive side is a way to more deeply connect with God whether it be a visual or theatrical or musical or even something like designing a building we believe that God is a part of that and when anybody focuses on that and develops their talent and practices that It can become a way to connect more deeply with God. We recognize that it's a combination of talent and skill and practice that come together for someone to be able to give their best, to express the best that God has given them. The whole idea here is that in a variety of ways, our effort makes a difference. We can get better at some things via practice. So our choirs practice before they come here for worship. Your organist practices before she comes here to play. Your preachers practice before they come here to preach. But even in all of that practice, we continually remind each other that it's not really a performance. When it comes to corporate or gathered worship, this is not primarily a performance for you but rather an offering to God, that we're striving to give our best to God, that we recognize God has given us any talent we have to begin with, 
and we're offering praise and honor to God. Our Holy Communion ritual touches on this same idea. It has it like this. It has us say, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. It's similar to what Jesus is saying in that first verse we read, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. Right? All of this is saying that worship is not so that we can be seen, even if we're singing or playing or preaching or reading, but all of it is to help us draw closer to God. If you like my sermon and you tell me that, even then it should not be about my ego or how I feel or where I think my status is among preachers. It always should be about, well, I'm so glad that we brought you into the presence of God or that we helped you understand something more about the scriptures or you felt renewed in your faith because of what was said. Piety includes practices that connect us to God or help us experience God alive in our lives. So in this chapter, when Jesus is talking about piety, this morning we read the part on giving, the next section is going to be on praying, the next one's going to be on fasting. We're going to focus on just those first four verses on giving this morning. I know there are some listening who are already uncomfortable just hearing me say that. I've never known a preacher who's done any teaching about giving of our financial resources, giving of ourselves in a sacrificial way or preached a sermon about it that someone from the congregation hasn't come up to say, stop talking about money and giving. That's nothing to do with what you should be talking about. That's not a part of our faith. You're just trying to get into my wallet. But you know what? Jesus talks about money a lot. So I'm going to take my lead from him. We're reading his words, and we're going to talk some about giving. Talking about giving as a practice means it is a spiritual practice. It means it's something where we can grow, where we can improve, where we can do better. The gospel suggests that we can become better givers. We can grow in our giving Certainly, that's my experience in the faith. I was born into a family, had me baptized as an infant, took me to church every Sunday. If I had anything to give, it was because my parents handed me something to drop in the offering plate as they passed it up and down the rows, the church in which I grew up. I didn't have a job. I didn't have income. My parents were taking care of that. Well, all through elementary school, high school, I was giving a little, but was part of what my parents had earned and passed on to me. I went on to college and in seminary. I worked the whole way through all of my graduate education, my undergraduate, my graduate education, and still money was tight like most students. I didn't feel like I had any extra. I felt like I was still just getting started. So when I thought about giving to the church, I thought, oh, that's somebody else. That's my parents. That's older people. That's people who are already established. So I gave my time and my energy in the church, but I wasn't giving my money. 
just didn't seem that there was ever enough. Finally finished seminary, went to my first appointment. I was making a whopping $18,000 a year. Still, there didn't seem to be enough. I was working. My wife was still in school, but she was working part-time. But by the time we paid all the bills, there wasn't anything left over to give to the church. Of course, that's the problem. We had our priorities mixed up. We were spending first and then trying to give back to God. That is backwards. Let me suggest this is the better plan. This is the biblical model. Give first, then spend. That puts the priorities right. So finally, Mary and I, we're married. I'm out of graduate school. She's out of school. We're working. We have our priorities straight. We're giving to the church. But that 10% idea, that tithe idea in the Bible was still a big chunk. We weren't quite ready for that. We already had debts that we had built up, and they were continuing to grow. And so we struggled for years to try to grow in our giving to give another percentage point, another percentage point, moving up as we could. But debt that's already accumulated is a burden that makes that almost impossible. Some of you, I imagine, can relate to that. I bet many of you have had that same experience. But the Bible has this standard about giving. It's called the tithe. The concept is the tithe or give 10% back to God through the church give first to god that's about the only way you're going to find yourself giving 10 percent. if you spend first and then see if you have any left i'm pretty sure you won't have the 10 percent but all those years mary and i struggled with that we grew in our giving finally we got to that 10 percent and we realized that's not really the ceiling that's kind of the standard bar the bible sets in terms of if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a person of faith, 10% are giving the tithe. There's that phrase, tithes and offerings, right? Where you give the 10%, then you can give more on top of that. But I'll tell you, out of our own experience, it takes practice. It takes being intentional. And it takes thought and commitment. I don't share our story very much because of the very thing that Jesus says in that first verse. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. I'm not so much wanting you to congratulate us that we have grown in giving, but I want to encourage you to believe it's possible that if you're not already there at that tithe, at that 10% or even 10% and more, that God is at work in your life. You can grow in your giving. It is possible to grow in giving, just like we talked about last week about being perfected in love, that we can grow in love, that we can allow God's love to fill us ever more so that we want to be more loving, that we're motivated in everything we say and do by trying to share the love of God. Well, giving goes hand in hand with that. I think that's what Jesus is getting at in verse 3 and 4. Let me read them to you again. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Now, some people get caught up in this idea of God's going to reward me if I give. Somehow there's some kind of magic formula. If I give the right amount or say the right words when I give, that I'm going to be rewarded financially, outwardly. But that seems to miss the whole frame or context in which Jesus is speaking here. He is saying, don't do it expecting outer rewards to be seen by others or to blow your trumpet when you're doing it so that you receive praise. It's not about the outward reward or the outward signs. Rather, Jesus is saying, focus on the inner. Focus on the motivation. Focus on the spiritual. Jesus is saying the appropriate focus is on your relationship with God. The reward is a spiritual reward, an inward or inner experience of being closer and more deeply connected to God. I think that's the reward that Jesus is talking about when he says that it will come in secret from your Father, from God. It has to do with that development of a deeper more intimate relationship with god because now you're getting it that god is a giver that jesus wants us to be givers expects us to be givers and in fact as we become givers we become more like god more like jesus so it's not some kind of magic formula oh give 10 percent, and boom you're going to become a millionaire now i know some teach and preach that and it's not that some people haven't had a positive experience when they begin to give more to God. I think, though, it's not magic. I think it has to do with reorienting who you are and how you go about your business. I think it's once you begin to be more thoughtful about your Christian stewardship and more intentional about all of your finances, when you focus a little more on what Jesus has been teaching than what our culture teaches us, we begin to realize that it's all God's to begin with anyway. That God is the creator of the universe. That God has created all the raw materials and all the resources. And for many of us, we were born into some wealth already that somebody else had earned. And we are simply stewards. We are the ones who have been entrusted to do the right thing that God trusts us to use resources in certain ways, and we're given some guidance and direction in Scripture about how to do that. Once the reorientation begins, what I see people doing is deciding to be less wasteful and more prudent with their expenses. I mean, if you're going to start by taking the first 10% and giving it back to God through the church, then that only leaves 90%. That's your cap. And you're living in a culture where on average families, individuals spend 105% of what they make, which means, of course, they're living in debt. They're building up debt. They're using consumer debt to finance their lifestyle. So to go from 105% to 90%, some things are going to have to change. Mainly your spending and of course, once you begin to look at it, I think you'll realize that what Jesus says about doing things to be seen, giving, spending, consuming, often have to do with our egos and our insecurities and our desire to be seen in a certain way. 
Jesus says there's a better way. Give to God first. Focus on your relationship with God first. Get those priorities straight. Apply it to your giving. And what you begin to experience is God changing you from the inside out. That God is shaping and forming you ever more into the image of Christ. That there is a spiritual or a secret reward that begins happening inside of you where you want to love more, you want to give more. You're looking for opportunities and ways to be a giver, to be someone who's looking to help others, to open their hand rather than grabbing and looking just at self. Scriptures have this idea that God wants us to grow in faith and our giving is one of those signs of where we are in our faith journey, how much we trust God, how thoughtful we are about Christian precepts that teach us how we're to live as a disciple who follows Christ. Last week, we talked about the passage just before this where Jesus is reminding us that not only love those you know and not only love your neighbor, but love your enemies. And we talked about how that requires God's work within us, God's love being poured into us, and it takes a community to help us grasp and surrender and trust God to fill us with that kind of love, to make us full of love or perfected in love. As I said last week, Dr. Roberta Bondi reminded us that the whole idea of this Christian journey is to learn to love as God loves. That if we have experienced the outpouring of God's love into our lives, then it's not to stop here, but to flow through us, to change and transform us so that we are light to the world, that we're showing and shining God's love into the world. Becoming generous givers, I've put in your outline, changes our character changes our character to be generous begins to change us to begin to take these steps to be more giving begins to change us you can just watch in somebody's life the focus beginning to move from self out to others from self onto what does god want rather than just what i want placing trust in god rather than trust in things jesus talks about that too Where's your trust? Where's your treasure? The whole idea of being rewarded in secret is not that, oh, nobody knows where your money comes from, but they all see that you're wealthy because you love God or God loves you. But it's an inner work, an inner transformation. It's part of your spiritual life. Just like last week, remember, Jesus said, loving your enemies doesn't have to do with what's good for your enemy, even though it is good for your enemy. But it has to do with you, he said, so that you might be children of the Father, that you might be full of love as God is. You remember? So this whole set of teachings are connected together. We're taking them a piece at a time. But the flow of what Jesus is teaching us about what it means to be a follower of his, what it means to be a disciple, are all kind of falling in this sequence, steps we can follow 
when Jesus talks about piety, whether it's giving or praying or fasting, there's certain assumptions Jesus has. Jesus assumes that his followers are givers. He says, whenever you give or when you give, do it like this. He doesn't say, think about it, make a decision on your own. And if you decide, you might try this. Jesus assumed that for those of us who have made a commitment to be a follower of Christ, that we are givers, that we understand God has given to us. And we are called to give back to God and to spread the wealth, to spread the joy, to spread the love of God that we have come to know so that others might be drawn into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about in Matthew. It gives you opportunity to grow as a disciple, to grow in love, to grow in giving, to be shaped and formed into the image of Christ is how some of the scriptures put it. The whole idea is to align your life with God's life, to align your will with God's will understand what it means to be a child of God to be a disciple of Christ this most famous sermon ever preached as I've called it is a teaching sermon when you pray do it like this when you fast do it like this when you give do it like this it really comes down to the question that I put at the bottom of your outline are you ready to practice what Jesus teaches? Are we ready to follow where Jesus leads? Let me close with this. There was a new preacher in a congregation. It was his first time ever to lead a stewardship or a giving, a pledge campaign, a commitment campaign in the church. He had asked everyone to fill out a pledge card. He had said, I'm going to call you if you don't fill out your card and give you an opportunity to be a part of this. One of the biggest givers historically didn't fill out his card. So the preacher called him. And he said, I've been waiting for your call. How much do you need? And the young preacher said, the question is not how much do I need or even how much does the church need. That's the wrong question. The real question is how much do you need to give? Amen. Thanks be to God.